0: Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Hello, my name is Joel, and I will be reading from Isaiah 11, verse one to nine. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will die down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will pray near the cobra's den, the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So for a few years before I, um, I became a pastor, am I on here? All right. Um, I worked in, in marketing and retail, and man, the word that we lived by was the word new. In fact, the entire retail Christmas season is driven by that idea, the idea of new. Um, like, I haven't seen uh, Apple advertising for the refurbished iPhone 4. Like, buy a, buy a refurbished iPhone 4. I haven't seen auto traders saying, hey, put a used car in the driveway for someone you love this year, right? Nothing wrong with refurbished phones and used cars, but that's not what drives the Christmas retail season. It's all about new. And in fact, that's what drives retail entirely. Something shiny, something updated, uh, when, uh, one of the jobs that I had when, when I was uh, doing brand management was even if we didn't, like and one of the products I had for a while was kind of an old product and there was nothing new to say about it, so what we would do is we would just change the packaging and we would spend time with our, our, our designers t- figuring out the new flash. What would the new flash look like? There was lots of different new flashes. And then what happens is you change the packaging, and then people are like, you get consumer feedback saying, oh, no, we, we like the old stuff. And you're like, no, no, the product's actually changed. So then you have to add to the new flash, same great taste, right? New look. And it was like, there's nothing new to say, but let's just put something new, because new is what drives retail. New is what drives people's interest. It's like we live for things that are new. Um, but new is kind of a cheap word, too. Even though it's an exciting word, it's a cheap word. We throw it around. Usually what it means is old, but a bit better. Like not totally new, just something that's a little bit new or a little bit um, better. And, and in fact, over time, you know, the new things lose their shine and they become obsolete. And so you have to sort of, so the, the, the word that drives retail now is not just new, but like update or upgrade, right? Um, because we need things new. Now, I think this is um, not just sort of a social comment on consumerism or whatever. The idea of actually new, the reason it drives us, the reason we get sucked in over and over again is because there's something actually deep inside of us that longs for things to be new. And and even as temporary as they may be, as temporary as the new car smell may be, or the new sweater, or the new restaurant in town to go to, or whatever, apparently Cheesecake Factory opened up, and the lineup was like three hours long, or whatever, and everybody in the U.S. would be like, there's nothing that special, we've got a ton of them here. There's this thing that it taps into this desire within us to experience, or to feel, in a sense, new. It's actually a human condition, and it's not just about new things and new stuff. Um, we actually want to be better people than we are. Like we're wanting to be a better version of myself. We're going we're to pass Christmas and come to New Year's, and lots of us are going to make resolutions about the New Year to be a better version of ourselves this year than we were last year because there's something in us as human beings that wants to be better than we are. There's a longing, a desire, and somehow even the newest things just promise the better version of ourselves. But even well beyond consumerism, in fact, if you look at many of the advertisements and many of the things that people promote at a season like this, it's not just a better you, but a better world. Like, we actually want the world to be a better place. There's a longing inside us to say, we're not all that we can be or should be. Like, there must be more. There must be a better place or a better way for us to be as people or a better reality for us to get to. Something better. And yet, often, maybe you've found this in your own life, I certainly have. Maybe find this as you try to pursue a better world, that it's actually a lot harder than we think. And sometimes the more we press, the greater our disappointment when we fail. And we realize, man, I've tried all this stuff and I'm still the same person that I was before. Like Maybe you're actually going to make New Year's resolutions that you made the year before, the year before that. Some of you maybe just said, I'm not making them anymore because I get too disappointed with myself when I realize I'm still the same person. No matter what sweater I'm wearing or what car I'm driving, when I look in the mirror. Or sometimes people close to us will say, you haven't changed or you'll never change. Some of you and many of you maybe that are involved in wanting to make the world a better place. If you spend any length of time doing that, and I know we as a church have been partnering with ministries in different parts of the world, and one of them is in Guinea, West Africa, and one of them is um, sort of here in terms of fighting human trafficking in our back door. The more you get involved in it, the more you realize this is deep. This is hard. This actually isn't going away. That my desire to see a better world and a better place often gets crushed by the reality is we solve one problem and 10 more come up. This whole desire for better is one of the reasons that we actually struggle a little bit with the Christmas season, especially for any of us that know the story of what Christmas is. And if you've been in the church for a long time, you've been at this church for any length of time, or even if you haven't a lot, there's a familiarity around the Christmas season that in a sense doesn't work for us because we already know the story and maybe you've sit through pageants or whatever where kids are dressed up as shepherds or rocks or whatever they are, you know, in that. And it's like, it's cute, but we, it's predictable. Like, we know the story. It's not like they're telling us anything new. And then we have the season called Advent, which is meant to prepare us for Christmas. But Advent doesn't make any sense if we're preparing to anticipate a story we already know. Or to receive a gift we already got. What is the whole point of anticipation? So sometimes Christmas for us is filled with the new things so that we actually have something to look forward to. But if we stripped it all down and said, well, what is Advent for to prepare us for Christmas? Well, we already know what that's about. Don't we know the story? Why would you prepare to receive a gift you've already received? Why would you try to anticipate a story you already know the ending to? Unless there's something about Christmas that we're tempted to miss altogether that is this, that the Christmas story and, and what I'm about to tell you, and even if you're coming, if you're someone to say, well, I don't, I don't know about all this faith stuff, and I actually don't know all the Christmas story, and I'm not sure I believe all of that. It's a nice feeling or whatever, but I'm not sure where I am with that. What I'm going to tell you this morning, if it's true, is the best news you've ever heard. If it's true, it's the best thing anyone's ever told you. If it's true. It's the best story you've ever heard. That God's plan for us through Christmas was not about a better you and a better world, but a new you and a new world. Not something old, but a little bit better, which is often how we think or how we come to this. It's like, I am who I am, but I'm just going to try to have a little bit of self-improvement. Uh, Tony was telling me that a friend of his used to work in publishing and said, there's only two kinds of books that make money. Textbooks, because you have to buy them, and self-improvement, because we can't stop buying them. Because there's something in us that wants a better version. And God doesn't say to us, you know, scold us for wanting something new. He says, I actually have something better than the better version of you. The plan is something totally new. A new you. And a new world. Dallas Willard, author and professor, said it this way, the new person and the new world for which humanity constantly seeks is the overriding theme of the biblical writings, culminating in the person and the kingdom of Jesus. The new person and the new world. The Christmas story is actually that God means to make something totally new out of humanity and totally new out of this world that longs to be better than it is. And if this is true, that's the best news that you and I have ever heard. And it it actually tells us through the Christmas story. The passage that Joel read from you is from the prophet Isaiah. And it was written about 700 years before Jesus came. It's a bit of an odd passage, but if you sit back and say, what is this actually saying? It's actually talking about the new humanity and the new world. At the beginning, it says, it describes this new person that is going to come. And he says that the new humanity says a shoot will come out of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David and David was the Israel's famous king. But it said that one day a king would come from the line of David who would live forever. So obviously, that wasn't going to be some ordinary king. In fact, David's line sort of disappeared. But it said a new king would come, and it describes this king that he would be wise and strong, but understanding, kind, compassionate, just, good, and faithful. Isn't that what we all want to be? Like, isn't that what we want humanity to be? Isn't that what we want our leaders to be? Isn't that what we want our kings and princes and prime ministers and heads of state and CEOs and parents? Isn't that the person we want to be? Isaiah describes it saying, actually, someone is coming who will be all the things that we long to be in of ourselves as human beings. That something is coming, not a little bit better than the old version, but someone totally new, a new kind of humanity, and he describes this person that's coming. And then in the second part, it almost seems like a non sequitur. It's like, what does the second part of this passage have to do with the first? He starts to describe what will happen when this new humanity comes, and he actually describes a whole new world. And it's a picture of all of these animals living in peace together and children playing next to very dangerous animals without any harm. Right? It's this picture of it says like the the lion will eat straw and carnivores and herbivores will actually live together and they won't they won't kill each other well we know the herbivores don't kill the carnivores you know how it works that there's this picture of a whole sense of unity and oneness and peace in the earth no harm no destruction the idea of peace which in the biblical word was was translated shalom which was this idea of not like sort of inner peace but like like the harmony and the unity of all things that really we all want and long for. Beauty without brokenness. It's describing a picture of a new world, right? Like creation, animals even living together. And we say like, you know, like at the basic level of human or animal instinct, there is peace. It is a prophecy about actually Jesus and the coming of Christmas, which tells us that God's plan for us was not a little bit better version of who we are. Just try to get a little bit better this year than you were last year. Try to, you know, get rid of some of those bad habits and try to be a better person. I don't know about you, but I keep trying. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's things that we hate about ourselves that we have not been able to kick or change in years. And we can cover it over in lots of other ways but we know our true selves. There is a striving and a longing to be better than we are, and yet a frustration with the fact that why can't I seem to be the person that I want to be? Why do I seem to make resolutions and promises to myself and promises to people around me, and somehow it doesn't seem to change? Why does the world, no matter how much we we used to think in the the early, uh, in the 19th century, in the Enlightenment period, that education was what the world needs? If we could only be more educated, we'd be better. And yet what we've seen is some of the most educated people in the world have done some of the most terrible things to other people. Not that education's wrong. You know, literacy is one of the great human problems we need to be solving in the world. And yet education by itself. You know, I remember going to West Africa and realizing, you know, we say, oh, the AIDS problem is an education problem. We just need better sex education for people as if people don't know what they're doing. And finding out that some of these young women are intentionally infecting other people with HIV because they're mad at the person in their family who raped them and gave it to them in the first place, and the only weapon they have is to get back at the world that ruined their lives. That's not a matter of education. Education is not going to change white-collar crime. White-collar crime is highly educated crime. Education is not enough to change the world, and the longer we think, well, then what is the solution? and every movie you see and every book you read and every newspaper article about it is proposing solutions and the scriptures say no we actually don't need just a little bit better of the ver- of the world we have that god says you actually need something totally new and the christmas story is the beginning of that new thing the christmas story is actually as one person has said the beginning of the end of the age and the start of a new one. Someone said it this way it's as if you and I are living in the overlap of the ages. That when Christmas began, it signaled the end of one age and the beginning of another. You might look at this and think, oh yeah, great, new humanity, totally new person, someone who's wise and just and faithful and right, who isn't influenced wrongly by greed or corruption or by other people, who's actually able to make the right choices all of the time. That sounds great. A world where there's no more crime, where there's no more hate, where there's no more anger, where there's no more killing, where there's no more fear, where there's no more danger, where there are no more tears. Wouldn't that be great? Where is it? Well, it's not here yet. But it started. It started with the birth of Jesus. The prophet Isaiah was saying, A new day is coming. Not a little bit better version of humanity than we used to have. Not a 2.0, something totally new like you have never seen. And not just a little bit better, a slightly improved world, but a whole new world beginning actually with the birth of Jesus. And the clues are all throughout the Christmas story. If you look close enough, If Christmas is actually about the end of one age and the beginning of another, of a new humanity and a new world, you begin to see it all over the Christmas story. What happens in the Christmas story? Who starts breaking in on the cosmos? Angels. The skies are ripping open. It's like the other world is breaking in on this present world in startling ways. The virgin birth is itself, in one sense, an entire capsulation of of, of a new humanity and a new world. Right? That in a sense, Jesus becomes not just Jesus himself, but a picture of what humanity was meant to be. A new person. Yes, born of a woman, but not born like any other person was born. And the virgin birth itself is a picture of a new world where God, in a sense, is bending the laws of the universe to create something totally new. Do you see it? It's not just a little bit better. Christmas gives us this little shot of hope for a little bit of time, and then it kind of fades away and we go back to life again. But no, as we actually contemplate what Christmas was, we realize that we are living in the overlap of two ages. The end of one, the old one, is becoming obsolete, and the new one has begun. It began with the person, the birth of Jesus Christ. And the Christmas story tells us all over the place. Angels breaking in and singing, virgin birth. And then this, look who's at the manger side, right? The little nativity scene that you maybe have set up in your house. Look who's there. First of all, Mary and Joseph, right? Poor people, marry a teenager. A new humanity. One where wealth doesn't determine your value. A new humanity, shepherds. I said to you before that shepherds were so distrusted they weren't even allowed to like, uh, give testimony in court because they were always looking after unclean animals and never had time off to actually go to the temple. And they were never religiously clean or ceremonially clean. And so they probably did a lot of drugs and just spent time out in the field. Like they were people that really couldn't get a job doing anything else. And there they were considered the first witnesses to the birth of Jesus. Who is Jesus drawing to, around him at his manger? A new humanity. Yes, his parents, people not known because of their wealth, but also the shepherds, not people judged by their reputation or the things they've done in the past or the way other people see them. And then who else comes? The magi, the wise men. They weren't actually at the manger. They came two years later, but they're in your nativity scene, so let's just talk about them for a moment. What were they? People from other religions. See, it's not that Christianity is the true religion and every other religion is false. It's that Jesus is the, is, the, is the one that every religion has been looking for. That in him is found all of truth, all of life, all of hope. Jesus didn't come as the founder of a new religion. He came as the answer to every longing heart. And so naturally there are people there from other religions who suddenly realize we saw a star. They, they worshipped the stars. The star led them to the one who made them. And there they were, foreigners, people from other religions. Jesus, even in his birth, is gathering around him, showing us a picture of the new world, right? What is it that we say, This? what is the mission of the United Nations? World peace, right. It is right. That's why we long for it. We think, how is this ever going to happen? And yet, at the manger side of Jesus, we see him bringing together people where wealth and social class and reputation and ethnicity and religion don't divide, but actually unite. It's actually the picture of the new world. Jesus comes to us as the picture of both the new humanity and the new world. See, The sooner we realize, the sooner you realize, the sooner I realize that the self-improvement I long for in my life or the things that I want to see change in the world are never going to happen through me and my effort alone, but to realize God actually sent his son into the world to show us that you'll never get there yourself, but my plan is actually better than your plan. Your plan is just a little bit better version of you and a little bit better version of the world. I actually am going to make you new and make the world new, and I'm going to start with my son, Jesus. That's what Christmas is, that we were never going to get there ourselves. So God sent Jesus to show us a picture of the new humanity and the new world. See, Jesus' life shows us the new humanity, and his resurrection shows us the new world. Yet that, that we don't just have an account of Jesus' birth. We actually have four accounts of Jesus' life. And we begin to see a picture, not of this superhero that we go, oh, isn't it nice that he was like this? But as a model, as a picture of this is the person you were meant to be like. This is what it means to be human. Get that, that Jesus actually shows us. That's why when he came to save the world, he didn't come as some inaccessible superhero riding from some parts unknown that we've never heard of and do things we could never do and just say, well, now I've saved you. He actually came and lived, was born, of fam- raised in a family, worked a blue collar job most of his life and lived as a poor person, as a human being, as a single dude to give us a picture of saying, this is what humanity was meant to look like. And yet he is the most beautiful person the world has ever seen. And 2,000 years later, two and a half billion people around the world call him Lord and Savior. It's a picture of humanity. Actually saying, this is the life you were meant to live. That's why when we talk about it in in our church and when people ask me, well, what kind of religion are you? I said, I don't actually have a religion. I follow Jesus. I follow the one who is showing me what it means to be human. I follow the one whose life I am trying to imitate because I believe that's the person I was meant to be. But the resurrection of Jesus actually shows us a new world is coming because what is the one rule of this old world we live in? Death. Death is the one unbreakable rule of this old earth. And none of us can break it. It's coming for every one of us. Maybe tomorrow, maybe 30 years from now, you don't know, but it'll claim every life and it claimed every life up to that point until Jesus rose from the dead, which said what? Wait a second, this is the beginning of a new world. Actually, a new world is starting because the one rule of this world has been nullified, canceled, obsolete. It could not claim this life. And Jesus says one day, you will have a new life like mine. If he is the picture of new humanity, his resurrection actually tells us God means to create a whole new earth, a whole new body, a whole new humanity. Friends, this is why this is the best news you have ever heard. Because it means that the deep longings you and I have inside of us, even to be physically more than we are, the deep longings we have to be rid of our sickness, to be rid of our frailty. Some of you just have like a bum ankle that just always gives out at a certain time. Or you've been battling a sickness in your body. Or you've been walking alongside someone who has and something in you at every funeral says this, this should not be. And you're right. It's not going to be. That death is not the end. See, the life of Jesus shows us what humanity has looked like. His resurrection shows us a new world is coming, and it has already begun. And you and I live in the overlap, the end of one age and the beginning of the new. (laughs) That's why we anticipate Christmas, because it doesn't look back to the first coming of Jesus. It looks ahead to the second. It says, yeah, the first coming was amazing. The second one is going to blow your the first coming was the one who came as the new humanity. The second one is going to usher in your new life and the new world that God is creating for those who are in Christ. Do you get that? That's why it's new all over again, because every Christmas is a reminder you know what? Nothing in this world has actually satisfied me yet. Nothing shiny and bright could ever be given to me under that tree that would actually satisfy this longing for something new. And no amount of New Year's resolutions and all that kind of stuff is ever going to ultimately fix and satisfy, but a day is coming when it will. It is coming. The fact that I can't be the person completely that I want to be does not discourage me, but it gives me hope to say that longing, it's real. You're not crazy for thinking that there's a better version of you out there. As one person said that you, on your best day, you're a shell of your future self. Right? You're not crazy for thinking that. You're not crazy for thinking that the world could be and should be a better place because God actually put that in you because he says, I'm actually going to create something new. And so some of you are here. You're saying, wow, that, that's, that's really good news if it's true. But is it true? You know, you have to start You have to take a long, hard look at Jesus. I've said this to you many times, but I, I find it so compelling and interesting to say, well, why, why would I look at Jesus? There's lots of other religions. There's lots of other people talking and selling truth and this and that. So why, why Jesus? Uh, one of my podcast mentors said it this way. If you take the, the top 10 people in the world who have been most influential, Jesus is on that list, right? He's at least three if he's not one. I mean, there isn't anybody in, like, Time Magazine so many times over, right, person of the year or whatever, like, person who changed history. Like, even if you don't believe who he is, he has totally rewritten history. This man who died at the age of 33, never traveled more than 100 miles from where he grew up, never held political office, never was a CEO of anything. Literally turned the Roman Empire upside down. Within 300 years, the most powerful empire the world has ever known was on its knees saying, okay, you win most influential person in history. Now put the list next to it of the top 10 people who have claimed to be God. There's only one person on both lists. Now, that doesn't mean he was, but it certainly means you can't just dismiss him and say, oh, I don't think Jesus was who he said he was. So if you're here saying, I'd love this to be true. I just don't know what it is. I would say this Christmas, go to a Christmas Eve service next week. There's one here if you want to come. You can. Take a long, hard look at Jesus. There's four biographies of him in the library that is the Bible, about his life. Take a long, hard look at his life. And there may be some of you who are saying, I know, I know, but I'm struggling. And you've been struggling so much just trying to be the better version of yourself. And maybe you just need to come to that point where you say, okay, Jesus, take the wheel. This isn't actually about me being a little bit better version of myself. I actually need to know who I was meant to be. I actually need to live out the new humanity. So I'm going to stop trying. And I'm going to start following. Some of you just need to make that decision. Maybe you want to make it today, and you can make it by just saying, okay, Jesus, take over. I'm not the Lord of my life anymore. You are. I don't want to be the picture of humanity that I'm supposed to follow. I want you to be the person I'm meant to be, and I'll follow you. And for those of us that would say, yeah, he is, he is my Lord. What does it mean for us that we live in the overlap of the ages? It means that you know this old age is full of hardship and pain and struggle. And if you're in the middle of pain and struggle and hardship, and you don't know a better day is coming, that's the worst place in the world to be. But when you know, wait, the new world has begun. It hasn't finished yet. It's a long way off. I don't know when, but it's coming. And every time something breaks, every time something breaks down, every time I fail, every time I work hard towards something to make the world a better place and it doesn't come, I can say to myself, it's worth the effort because a better day is coming. My effort is not in vain because the desire I want is actually the desire God has and he plans to make me new and the world new in it. So even in the middle of my pain, even in the middle of my frustration with this broken old body and broken old earth, I can know the new one has become. Done. It's coming. It's just not yet. So that means you can sing at Christmas. That means you can sing the songs of hope. Had the chance to um I'm gonna invite the worst team to come up I'm just close here. Had the chance to see the Star Wars movie this week. I was away with Noah in the US. We happened to be near a theater and it was 11 o'clock showing on Friday. We hit it. It was awesome. They actually had these recliner chairs, which I'm saying we are never putting in this theater. <clears throat> I'd have to up my sermon game a lot just to keep people <laughs> awake during that. But there was a gajillion previews before the movie because everyone was like, going to get their chance when everyone was going to watch Star Wars. And it was interesting. Every single preview was about either a better person or a better world, every single one. And I was sitting there going, man, I'm so glad I have real hope. The hope in The Better Person, The Better World is not some movie that I have to watch to try to forget my life. But that actually right in this season, right now, I can be looking forward to the life that's coming and the world that's coming and saying, you know what? Every one of those movies, every one of those stories is actually telling us something that's true. It's just found its fullness in Jesus which means we can sing together at Christmas. So we're going to invite you to sing in response. It's a song that says, come, O come, Emmanuel. And it's not actually about saying about when he did the first time. It's saying, come again, come again. Like we long for this day. What does it mean to say, Jesus, come soon? We want to see the new world and the new life that you have for us. And so let's stand and sing that together.